Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. I think I'll do with the, with the screen. You ready? I give thanks, O oh Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For, thou, for, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lonely, but the haughty he, he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and, you, and, your, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, your steadfast love. O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Hallelujah. He's amazing. He's awesome. Who is like unto the Lord? High and lifted up. High and mighty. Father God, we come in your presence. We step in the heavenly places. Because you have seated us there above principalities and powers. You said we shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. And nothing shall by any means hurt us. We embrace you. We embrace your presence. We can't do without you. We lean on you. Our hope is in you. Our confidence comes from you. And today we yield our bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, our going in and our coming out, our eating, our singing, our, our dancing, our praises, we offer them all to you as an offering. You said this is our most reasonable offer of worship unto you. So take our lives and let it be consecrated unto you. Use us to your glory and bless us this day. We worship and adore you. We love on you. 
Beautiful Jesus, we love all of you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He's awesome. He's already in this place. He's already here. He's already here. Hallelujah. Let's embrace him. Let's engage him. He's already here. Hallelujah. 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 Worthy, worthy, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Ancient of Days. We worship you. We honor you. We love on you. Be glorified in our midst today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. we thank you for being here this morning for coming and joining us Lord we sing our praises to you and we know they're inadequate to express our feelings for who you are for your presence in our life for the power you give us to be in your presence. We are in awe. Lord, thank you for gazing upon us. Transform us, Lord. All right, guys, so good to look at your faces. I'm pretty excited to be here and share with you. We're going to continue in Mark. Everybody say Mark. It's one of the four Gospels, right? One of the three synoptics. Um, Mark, Matthew, Luke. And it is an intense journey. And so far, we're about halfway through. We're about couple years into Jesus's ministry, and we're about six months from the cross. So what we, what we learned last time in, in chapter 8 was that Jesus had kind of just started to drop the bomb on them. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they're not handling it well. They're not having it. In fact, the last passage we read about Mark, Peter's so messed up by it, he rebukes Jesus. And he's like, I heard what you said, Jesus, but no. No, that's not happening. And Jesus re-rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, right? Which is a th- something you want to hear from your Savior, right? He says that to one of his disciples who loves him. And then we learn that Jesus tells them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. And there's no ability for them to understand that. They have zero ability to understand it. And they, they're far from understanding it. They're still months away from getting it, but he keeps that content coming. So I wanted to read you just a little bit of the last week's passage into verse 1 today in chapter 9. 
So if you could pull this up for us. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is strong language. That's strong. And then verse 1 and 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So just a little bit of a foundational betting as we get into today. He's starting to tap into some things. He's noticed in the disciples there's a rebuttal when he says, I'm going to die, because he's tapping into the way that they thought it was about to be done. And they're not enjoying it because to them, the Messiah equaled somebody who would come that would look a little bit like Moses, but mostly like David, and would definitely smite all of their enemies and would definitely put them back nationalistically on the forefront. So this is the guy they're waiting for, the guy that comes and finally helps them regain their status as the elite Jedi of Jerusalem. Jesus begins to drop the bomb on them. That's not why I came. In fact, me, your Savior Messiah, is here to die. And they, not only can they not hear it, they have no way to grasp it. There's no conversation about, well, just Jesus, walk us into that. What does it mean? They could not have sung Daniel Bash's song that we just sang, Seas of Crimson. They could not have sung that. They would never have sung that. They would have been like, this is definitely heresy. Burn that junk because this Savior, he's definitely coming with a tank. And he's definitely coming to destroy. You know, and so he's tapping into something in the disciples that's very active and present in us, and it's fear. So he uses really strong language, right? He's tapping into, listen. Don't be so afraid or ashamed of the Father that you miss out on the Father's connection. Don't be so afraid and ashamed because it's fear right now. It's not even whether or not they love this guy. Right now it's just, oh my gosh, like this changes everything. What I thought was about to happen is not about to happen. This changes everything. So he looks at them and he says these strong words, right? Like whoever will acknowledge me in front of man. For them to acknowledge was to, to look directly in the face of fear. It wasn't just Jesus is better. It's everything is about to change for me if I acknowledge this. Everything. I'm not going to win at this. I'm not going to be on the top of a mountain, even though they're about to go to a mountain. I'm not going to be like this passage that we read so much. We pick these passages out. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. And that's a beautiful thing, right? But the way that Jesus expresses, I'm going to be the head and not the tail, is being the first into death. So what does our idea of being the head and not the tail mean? Does it mean that you submit your life unto death for your neighbor? Because amen, let's be that. But does it also mean that your neighbor owes you respect and they're going to respect you because you're going to get your blessing right now? Because if that's what you mean then if you were one of the disciples, you would have very much struggled with this. And I'm just going to put myself in that group. I would have struggled with this and still struggle with it. I struggle with fear 
all the time. One of the places I notice my fear super strong is, is in a dark room where there's stairs and I have to go up them. Um, I don't know, ever since I've been a kid, one, two steps in, I'm like, I don't know if you guys do that, but I literally still, every time I go upstairs from a dark room, I run up the stairs because something's going to get me from behind. That's, that's, I'm not trying to tell you a story. I still do it. Hurt back and all, I'm running. Who, who else runs upstairs in dark areas? Because something's going to grab you, right? If anybody's ever scared me, I always, I think it's a cool reaction, but I'm always ready. My na- I'm proud of this because I don't do it because when I'm scared, I automatically stand like this, which is like, I'd be a terrible boxer and whoever was there would probably be able to take me out. But the way it looks is dope. Like, scare me, scare me. I'm totally ready, right? And it's funny to talk about what scares you. I remember my high school or college roommate, I used to like spend an hour hiding in his bed just for him to go to bed and get in and realize there is a human in my bed. I would, I would give a whole hour of my life to that just for someone to be afraid. And it's funny, but what about when you start to talk about fear in relation to God? All right? I know this is, this is a passage we like to talk about, fear God, right? I don't know that we really understand it. But I do know that there are levels of fear when you're walking with Christ as you walk into a relationship with him that he definitely wants to put his hand on. I know for me, kind of the end route for me was this reality of sin or right and wrong. And I definitely believe that there are, that sin is a legitimate thing. I I believe that. And I believe sin separates us from God. I believe sin harms neighbor almost always. And I remember my entrance into Christianity, that was my big fear was, I've definitely done these things. I have definitely this awareness, like this idea that Moses brought the law to reveal and all of Leviticus to talk about these are the laws that show there is right and wrong and this is God's way to protect the right. As you enter in, most of my initial fears were based around, I definitely deserve to be punished. I didn't have any idea what Jesus, how he entered in that equation. I just knew, as a Christian, what you need to hear is that you're a sinner, because that's what everybody's been telling me. Can you guys hear me? Thank you. All the guys in the back are going, thank you. So, and part of that is because one, one time when I was a kid, I went to a thing called um, heaven, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Heavens. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It did nothing for my salvation except for make it the scariest Halloween thing that has ever happened on the planet. And I think as you enter Christianity, your fears are based around that, this reality. And secondary, I think some of my fears transition to the idea of God being just. And God is a just God. And just because Jesus came doesn't mean he doesn't care about people being mistreated or marginalized or abused. Like, and he is bringing justice to that. Even still, Jesus comes. Even still, Jesus places his hand on our back and says, I love you, like we're about to read. But even still, he cares that... Justice happens. He's not just concerned about, let's just sing all love songs, right? We need to sing some justice songs as well. People are being mistreated, right? So for me, my second step into being afraid is justice is coming, and it's probably coming to me. Most assuredly, if I'm about to be repaid for all that I have done, there is a long list of justice. It's going to be a long court case. I'm going to be in that seat for a long time. And then the third part, I think, of Christian development comes to this place where you realize Jesus actually provides provides for you in those two things. One, the law, 
the law was there to point us to something. So the realization that he's not picking apart your, your, your past is a beautiful thing. And then the second realization that he wants to bring justice, it doesn't, I don't think the part for me, it doesn't really process to me receiving that justice. And then Jesus comes. And the third fear is, I think, a really good fear to look into. It's seeing what Jesus steps into and what he has to sacrifice when he does that. It's thing like, things like reputation. It's things like speaking up in the midst of an American culture that's saying nothing's wrong and acting like nothing's wrong and realizing I need to be a voice in that setting and it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something because Jesus steps into marginalized. Jesus steps into the other. Jesus steps always in with the alien, always in with those being marginalized. He is always right there. And so for us, I think the third and biggest fear is this is about to cost me something. And those of us who won't look at those fears or those of us who will act like there's nothing going on are the ones who have decided that fear is too strong for me. So it looks a little bit like listening. Can we listen? And I didn't want to go on a tangent about what's happening in America today, but there's definitely a problem. And we definitely need to learn how to listen. And if you can't learn how to listen, that's on you. It's easy to make a stance, but learning, right? That's our job. Learn to do right. Seek justice, right? That's the learn. I'm committing to being a learner in this because it's fear. It's it's in a it's fearful, right? Just there's something that costs Jesus when he decides to tell his disciples, "I'm about to die, guys. Are you willing to walk on that path with me?" And so, fear. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about. Because he just wants to put his hand on it and say, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. So if you could pull up verse 2. If you guys want to turn with me to Mark chapter 9, we're going to travel through this whole, a lot of this passage. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Okay, can you pull up the mountain? So this is Mount you'd call it a bunch of different things. I'm going to call it Hermon. And that's where this probably happened, which looks a little bigger than you might have thought, correct? So this is where he takes them. It takes six to eight days to get there. People, theology destroys this because there's a way to say six days or eight days, and it's actually the same, including the first two. But it takes him about that long to get there. He takes three of his guys. Um, and in my first part of this, I was really jealous of these guys. Like, man, how do you... How do you become a disciple that gets chosen to go to the transfiguration? And what about the other nine that don't get chosen? If you struggle with performance and you're one of the other nine, you're destroyed. Like, they're, being, they're up there with, he's being transfigured right now. They're on the mountain. They're on the mountaintop. And we'll read in a little bit that the disciples are not only not with him, but they are failing miserably at helping someone that needs to be healed. So this is the two scenarios happening right now. So this is where they are. In Luke 9, 28 through 32, if you can pull this up, this is a little bit more of the story partnered with Mark, and I'll read this to you. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Um, another one of the translations will say, like, it, it's actually translated linear lightning. So looking upon Jesus' face looked like lightning, which just imagine whatever that looks like, like pew, pew, pew. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What you don't know right here, is there more to this? Yes, there is. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. When they became fully awake, they saw the glory of the two men and stood with him. So here's what's happening. Just a little backstory. It's at the point now where it's a little bit funny how much the disciples seem to be failing and how much Jesus seems to be extending grace. Even when using strong words, there's never a moment where anybody is told, you're out of here. You know, like Ace Ventura, when he, like they're in the, he's like, you're out of here. Go. And that doesn't happen. So you see these strong words and you're like, and it's always easy to put the disciples in the boat of an idiot. Like, how stupid do you have to be to do what they do? It's exactly what we would be doing. These are people, just for preface, these are people who love Jesus very much, who would do anything for him, who are confused. And so when you see them doing things that are wrong, see the grace of Jesus to be walking with them in that and not deciding at every wrongdoing, it's over. There's something about the process he's taking them on But there's also something about the boldness that these guys have to continue to fail. Like they don't. The only guy that leaves is Judas, and he just decides. Jesus would have let him stay. He just decides the worst decision in history. I would rather get paid a little bit. You'll hear that later on. But all these other disciples just continue to fail and not understand it. It's confusing. So in this case, they're asleep again. I mean... Any of us get invited by Jesus. We're going to go up on a mountain. You want me to go on a mountain? We're going to go up and pray. I'm going with you, Jesus. This is going to be fantastic. Fall asleep in his presence. And when they wake up, he is transfigured. So imagine waking up, not only to a transfigured Jesus, which means he has changed in bodily form. And we we already know that he wasn't comely in appearance, whatever that means. We know that he wasn't an attractive man according to Isaiah. So now they're seeing him in probably his kingdom heavenly form with a a face of lightning. And that's how they wake up. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I just picture this scene in Elf where I always picture this with the disciples for some reason where he's in the shower and he decides to sing with her and she recognizes and he starts running and he hits the wall and falls. Like that's this. That's Peter waking up like, whoa, wait, what? Hey, wait, what? And instantly he knows not only is this guy Jesus and that he is transfigured in his heavenly form, but he instantly knows who Moses and Elijah are, which says something about the kingdom. There's knowing, right? To be known and to be fully known. But he has to figure all this out at wake up. When you wake me up, I'm telling you, like, I am not kind for two and a half hours. Imagine waking up to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And they're transfigured having a conversation. And he does like, if you're an Enneagram follower, I'm an eight. We don't like ourselves, but we think we know a lot. This is an eight if I've ever seen one. He knows what to talk to Jesus about. He is ready to tell Jesus, but Jesus is transfiguring. Moses and Elijah, there are just a couple things about them you need to know. Moses brings to this community, and they would know this, right? Like we've heard all the passages about how stupid they are, and they only know how to fish. If you are a part of this community and you were raised in it, you probably know the Torah, okay? So our idea of what they are, they still know so much. So when they see these two guys, they know Moses, he is the greatest person that brought the law in our history. 
and there's instant respect for him. And then Elijah is the greatest prophet we have ever had. He is the forerunner. He will tell us about the Messiah to come. He will bring judgment against our enemies. So they instantly not only know that Jesus is transfigured, they know that the person who brought the law and then the first and best prophet is present with them. And they're having a conversation. And the conversation they're having, this this should stick a pin needle in your theology and make you ask questions. God sends the people that went before Jesus to be with him to tell him, your time's about to be up. Basically to encourage him and say, you've done a good job. Jesus needed that. Jesus needed that. So God sends two people who aren't even with him to be with him to tell him those things. That's the conversation happening, that Jesus is about to die. You've done good. You've done so good. And then Peter, I love him. He's definitely an eight. He starts freaking out, right? Can you read the, can you pull up the next passage? And the clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. I love that it says no one on earth can bleach them. It helps me to see that Mark is more like somebody who's from the country than Luke, because who says, who describes it like that? You can't even bleach them, like, right? Like, you know I'm talking about Shantae. You can't even bleach them. Those clothes show why you can't even bleach them. Like, Luke is a doctor. He would have never said that. Right? That's close, sir. Why you can't even believe? You don't even know how to explain stuff, so you just... <laughs> My family's from the country, okay? Forgive me. Shantae, I love you. <laughs> you can't even bleach him. And there appeared to him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Gosh, that's... God, oh, that's just... Go to the next one, please. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi... I love this, dude. It's good, it's good that we're here. This conversation's happening. He says, Rabbi, no, it's good that we're here. And I just like picture these three like pillars, one being Jesus, who is the cornerstone, not even, a, and they're just listening to Peter. Like Peter just starts to go. He's like, it's so good that we're here, right? It's, it's good that we're here, right? And then let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this is why, because... He did not know what to say, for he was terrified. I would do the exact same thing. I would have a plan, and I would realize after that I was extremely afraid. And it's funny what fear makes you do, right? It's funny what fear throws you into. It's, it's neat when you're running up the stairs, but it's when it's related to things that really matter, it's funny how crippling it can be and how hindering it can be. It's also funny to me how much space Jesus makes for this and God in this passage for this Peter who would become the rock who is the ultimate failure through and through and through, but also the reason why we have the church. So he's, he's got this awesome idea, right? He's like, I got an idea. What's good that we're here? It's, I'm, you guys are good to be here too. I love you guys. Let's build a tent for everybody. It's, it's going to be amazing. We'll put a tent up and then... Like in God fashion, I don't want to cry because I never do, but sometimes when I read passages like this, it makes me want to cry. Maybe if I say that, I won't. Can you pull up the next passage? And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So this is the part that I... 
So there's, there's, there's six people here. Three of them, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Three of them, Jesus is what we would say is favorite disciples. I don't agree with that, actually. I'm about to think rebut it. And God picks one out of the six people to talk to, and it's not Jesus, Moses, or Elijah. He's in the presence with these three. With these three and the one being spoken to by God is Peter. I don't know if that sunk in for him, but I know for me, there's a way to speak and preach this that would say, you're such an idiot that Jesus is around and God needs to talk to you. And then there's a way to talk about it where you're so important that when Jesus is around, he's speaking to you. This is important. Listen to him. He is my son. So not only is he confirmed by Moses and Elijah, he's also now confirmed listening to God his father speak to Peter. Identity. It's the second time. In chapter 1, we heard it. Right after John the Baptist. This is my son. He's anointed, tossed into the wilderness to be tempted. Here again, this is my son. Identity. This is my son. He didn't say, Jesus, get ready. It's about to hit the fan, homeboy. You're about to get. He doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't even talk about what he's about to do. Jesus hears his father say, this is my son. I want to be a father that says things like that to my son. I want to be a father that when it really matters, when Jesus has to send Moses and Elijah to speak to my kids, that I still know that who I am to him is more important than what I'll do. Jesus hears that. He's confirmed the gracious gifts of God to Jesus are that he hears from his father and he hears from the people that went before him. You're doing good, man. Keep going. And all three of these guys are just afraid. And it says that they fall asleep. In some passages, they fall over. Like This is where people get the idea of glory cloud. People historically in the word do one of two things when, a, when the glory of God shows up. One Everybody's stinking afraid. Like, run for your lives, too. They just fall over. Like, drool. I just picture these three dudes just on a rock, like, just drool. And so, after God speaks to Peter in the midst of these people, this is my favorite thing about Jesus so far I've read in the Bible, okay? And you can pull up the next passage for me. And a cloud overshadowed, I'm oh, sorry. And as they were coming down from, no, go back again. I'm sorry, that's, that's my fault. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. When I first read this, I was like, what in the kind of trickery is that junk? Now you're going to make them disappear? What's the point of this? There's one way to preach this that says Moses and Elijah weren't important. Jesus is. The law doesn't matter. It's only love. I'm just going to share this with you because I care about the gospel. The law did matter. And the law prepared things that we still need. The law pointed out injustice. The law pointed out that you need to love your neighbor. So this person disappearing, Moses, isn't just about saying, oh, that's the past, right? Jesus has come. It's, let's just sing love songs. Read the Psalms. Half of them are about lamenting and mourning. And, and learning how to walk through situations where everybody doesn't get their blessing right now. Like, if we, if we don't have a theology that makes space for not getting blessed, you're going to struggle. And so, then he takes Elijah. 
prophecy. Like, this has got to be good. This person can see the future and then tell us. And now Jesus has left. And I love, I heard a friend of mine, or a guy that I really like from our seminary, say that Jesus was like noticing what's happening. Bright face of lightning. Of course, that's got to be bright. It's like, God, just turn off, can you turn off the lights for a moment? Can you make this situation where this reality is piercing into this one a little less intense? And it's just Jesus left. And Jesus is who those things pointed to. And it's an active command from God. Listen to him. It's not anymore, listen to what Moses said or hear what Elijah said. Now it's listen to him actively. And then Jesus, you can go to the next one now. In Matthew, we see this. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. He walks over to them and does this. Thank you. It's my son. That was going to be like the, the drop the bomb point right there. He walks over and he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What? Did you see what he just did? Don't be afraid. Jesus is listening to his father speak to him, and it's so overwhelmingly terrifying that the person falls over. And then Jesus walks over immediately after in his Jesus form and places his hand on him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because he cares about fear and what fear will do. Can you go to the next part? As they were coming down from the mountain. Oh, I love this. And again, my friend Chris Green, everybody has to come down from the mountain. Everybody has to come down from the mountain. Go to youth camp, enjoy it. We've all been there. We've all come back like we are about to attack this planet with our Christianity. This whole place is about to get lit with my Jesus. And then two weeks later, you're like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Everybody comes off the mountain. And it's not about mountains aren't important, the valleys where we live. And it's not about the valleys are important, that's where people are. The mountains, where we need to be. There's fear in both the mountain. So mountaintop places, there's fear in it. It wasn't even enjoyable for them. It was horrifying. Horrifying. But everybody comes down from the mountain. When your spirituality can make space for that, then you can be present with Jesus wherever you are. Because we're about to read about his disciples in a second who are not on a mountaintop. So, so they kept the matters to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead mean. And again, in Jesus' form, they asked him, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? Just for you guys to know, Elijah was supposed to come three days before the Messiah to present this to the Messiah. Jesus is basically saying right here, Elijah came in the form of John the Baptist. That was your Elijah. He was my forerunner. He spoke. He was killed. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of my son? How is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they, they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Speaking of John the Baptist. You can go to the next part. And this is the part to me. When I read this, this was my spiritual moment. Because Jesus chose three of 12 to go to a mountaintop. That's pretty great. And I kind of look at the other ones like, man, what'd you do, bro? Your Jesus is going up on a mountain right now. Because we only see the blessing in the mountain. 
The other, the other nine were also chosen to not go on the mountain. They were chosen to go struggle in ministry. They were chosen to wait on the Lord. The three were chosen to be with the Lord, to listen to him in the present. So you can pull up this passage. I'm going to read you a lot. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Jesus and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Or they answered to them, oh, and he answered to them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground. He rolled about foaming at the mouth and Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if, I can, if you can. That almost to me is like, we hear that like, are you stupid? I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing there, though. If you can. It's almost like he's chewing on it, like, if you can. And all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could, we not, why could we not cast it out? They didn't even know what to do. Like, they're in a space not where they knew what to do and they didn't do it. They really just genuinely didn't know what to do. What? Why could we not cast out? I've always read this passage like, dude, Jesus is, he could totally do all that. Why are you guys not doing it, right? And I hear his, oh, faithless generation. I've always heard that towards He's making a proclamation. It's not about the disciples because he says to them, and when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And the answer was, should be a little bit more. Is it coming? This kind only comes out. I don't have it right now. This kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. So there, this is their assignment as transfigured Jesus is working with three. You're to go into ministry and fail, and not know the answers, and not have the ability to figure out. And then he shows up with the answer. So the gift here is this. God is a God of mountaintops, and when you're on the mountaintop, take it in. Enjoy it. Listen to him. God is also the God of valleys where you're unable to do what you need to do, and he's saying to you, Wait on me. I'm coming. All of this scene was wrapped in fear. Fear of what men would say about them. Fear of when Jesus comes back, he's going to know that we legitimately did not do this correctly. 
I, I was praying with Jesus this week, not in this kind of form. It was not transfigured Jesus with me. It was just me speaking. And he was speaking to me about our space situation. And I sometimes feel like I hear God say things that are almost like dream case scenarios. And I felt like he said something to me about a thing. He said, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. If our church had that, that would be so fantastic. We could do so much ministry. And then he said, will you, will you be faithful with it? And I was like, man. Like, I, yes. I was like, my instant was like, I was like, Peter, I was like, yes, of course I'll be faithful with it, Jesus. Of course I would never, ever deny you. <laughs> Come on. Um, and I, I wrestled with it for about an hour. And then I felt like he nudged me again and said, do you want this for your church? And I was like, I do. It'd be great. It'd be super cool. Will you be faithful with it? And I was like, I don't think I will. And I started to, like, cry. <laughs> and he was like, nobody can be faithful unless I'm with them. And I was like, oh, mm. I was like, Father... He's waiting on our admission. He's waiting on our admission. And your fears will keep you from that. Because I was afraid I will definitely be unfaithful because I will try and make it about me. I will try and look cool. I'll try and put a, like a Twitter profile together. They'll be like, this guy's he's preaching in his Twitter profile. He must be awesome. If I ever have myself preaching in a profile, come smack me. All of you have permission, okay? Because my identity is not in preaching. And your identity is not in what you do. So will you be faithful? You don't know. Will you? Let's not be Peter. I'll never. I will never. Jesus, look at me. I will never. I will never ever say that about you. To say it three times about him. I don't know if I'll be faithful, but God, I want you in this. And I'm willing to fight through that, whatever that looks like. I'm wrestling with it. Do the other disciples miss out? If the other disciples miss out on the transfiguration, you're never going to grow. Here's what I think. Here's my story. I don't think the other three are his favorites. I think he gave to each disciple what they needed for their future. I think Peter might have screwed it up more than anybody. We see that happen. So he's front and center. Maybe the other nine guys wouldn't have struggled with what these three struggled with. Maybe they needed to see this is what failure in ministry looks like and this is what being honest about it is. Whatever situation God brings you into, we think, let's just jump forward. In 2 Corinthians, you can pull up this passage. It talks about glory again and it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We think of being transformed in, I'm in a valley, now I'm on a mountaintop. I can tell you right now, it can go from 71 degrees to 72 degrees, and I have no clue it just happened. There's something about the process. This whole book is about a group of people who never get it, and slowly but surely, they start to have enough of a foundation to say, I will die for him. From one degree of glory to the next. So don't run if he's got you in a space that it doesn't make sense. Don't run up to the mountaintop. They would have been like, dude, why are you here? You were on assignment failing at helping that boy so that you could learn a big lesson. Why are you here? 
Don't run from where he's got you. To be Jesus is to be Emmanuel to a thing that, that needs you. And then he inserts himself into our world. And if process isn't important, why does he have 30 years of doing things we don't know about? Why not just drop him on the scene like, it's my time, I'm here to shine. We don't even know what he did when he was five or six when they had their version of diapers that he needed to wear. We don't know what happened when he had his first crush because I guarantee you he looked at someone and was like, that girl's good looking because he was fully human and fully God. We don't know all that because the process was being built towards these three years of ministry where he would eventually die. So maybe... If God doesn't live on mountaintops and he shows us how to come down from them, instead of convincing everyone that life is a mountaintop, let's go live on it, be with people in the midst of not knowing how to help them. In the valleys where pretty much everything lives. Be with people who have no idea how to help their son not be deaf and mute and something's thrown them into the fire. I'll be with you. I don't know what to do. I'm going to be waiting on Jesus right here though. I'm not going to be afraid. I'll be waiting on Jesus right here. He's going to come down. He's going to say things like, this kind of only comes out by fasting and prayer. Like, nobody knows that at that point. They needed to hear it from him. Right? So wherever you're at right now, right? Let's move past this idea that God is still holding your sins against you, that there's impending judgment coming towards you, and let's move into this idea that Jesus is the culmination of all these things. And he literally walks over to you, places his hand on you and says, fear not. Fear not. I am with you. And God, if we can do that, maybe we will, from one degree to the next, become what you're asking us to become. And maybe along the way, when there's a person at 74 degrees, we don't go to 79 degrees and miss all of that. Maybe these lessons you're showing me are about what you're doing. Jesus is so good. So really quick, I'm going to pray for you. Being able to say what your fear is, is really brave. And it's really liberating. Especially when your fear has to do with God. He can totally handle it. He knows that you've struggled. He knows that you're going to deny him. He knows that you're going to fall asleep in prayer. I just recommend it. Fall asleep in prayer at one point to let yourself off the hook. It's okay. Jesus is bigger than that. He knows that you're going to not know what to do when this person asks you who Jesus is, and you're like, man. I... He knows that you don't know how to read the Bible. He knows that your prayer is like the worst thing for you. He knows that fasting is like, you're crazy, dude. I'm not fasting. You're stupid. Jesus provided food for us. He knows you don't know how to do any of that. He makes space for it because it's not to him about you becoming perfect all at once. It is a process, just as you looking at your kids and saying, I'm going to spend this year with you while you're telling me you hate me, because that's what kids do, I think, unless it's just mine, because that's an important year. That's an important year, and in your life right now, whatever you're walking through, it's important. So if you'll just close your eyes with me. Mountains and valleys are gifts. You're in one or the other, or you're on your way up or on your way down. Listen to him. Wait on him. Fear will step in and bring an indictment that you want to run with. 
do not run with it. Jesus looks at you and says, fear not. So Jesus, right now in this room, for the fear that lives within our hearts and makes us veil our faces, we ask that you would quench them and that you would replace them with faith so that we wouldn't be a faithless generation. But we'll be on the forefront running into this world amidst people who are being harmed and hurt and who are being cast on the ground so that we can stand beside you and listen and, and hear you say, this, this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. Jesus, bring that. I just pray that the peace of God would sweep across this room and that we would see a Jesus that continues to say to us, I am going to die and I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to teach you how to do the same. Don't be afraid. Follow me. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. So I'm really thankful to call all of you family in one way or another. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this body. I just want to pray God's peace and blessings over you as you go into this week. God, help us to embody what it looks like to live out the Messiah in Smyrna, in Canton, in Georgia. Help us to embody this gospel for people who need you. Help us to go with peace and bravery and not fear. Thank you for every human that is in this room, God. Thank you that we're eclectic. Thank you that we're becoming diverse. Thank you that we are passionate about you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.